Well, good morning, Mission View Church. My name is Andrew Boring, and I'm the pastor of student ministries here on staff. And it is uh, just a privilege to be with you all this morning. And what an exciting morning we've had, right? This great worship set, hearing about Trunk or Treat from last week, Missions Night tonight. Man, Missions is even in our name, right? Mission View Church. So if uh, you're newer to Mission View or you've been around a long time, it's right in the name, right? We care about missions. We love missions at our church. We're a very missioned-minded church. And it's so, such a blessing to be a part of a church that, that cares so deeply about taking the gospel uh, locally and spreading it here and also spreading it around the world, right? We have a missions team that, that is in uh, very frequent communication with our missionaries all over the world, just praying for them, uh, seeing what needs they have, trying to partner with them in ministry. We're so mission-minded, but we're also about going out and reaching the lost, right? We want to be a church that goes, not just a church that, um, that sends money, but a church that also goes uh, to further the kingdom, and the youth group at our church also shares in that same mission and uh, vision, for missions. Uh, so this coming summer, our youth group, Ignite Student Ministries, is doing two missions trips. One is to Camp Echoing Hills, which is in Ohio, and the other is to Mazatlan, Mexico, uh, with the Reesers, who are actually some of our church's missionaries, so we're super pumped about that. But it's so amazing to see our kids uh, share that same vision for missions and then go out as well to serve the Lord. And to help raise support for their missions trips, uh, our youth group is having an event on November 5th called Rake It Till You Make It. So basically what that is, is they're raking leaves uh, for donations towards their missions trips. So if that interests you, if you want the youth group to come to your home and rake your leaves, uh, you can talk to somebody at the info table. You can go online to the student ministry page on our website and find more information there. But it's just a great practical way for you to partner with the youth in our church so they can go so that we can be more mission-minded in that way. We are currently in our sermon series called Guiding, Providing Savior, GPS. And it's been so, so fun so far to see, just see Jesus through the gospel of Mark, uh, see him guide and provide for so many people, right? He provides for us physically. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him heal the blind. He's doing all these miracles. He's a provider physically. But we've also seen him provide spiritually. We've seen him teach uh, and, and preach that just cuts to the core of who we are, telling us what we need to hear. So he gives us physical things, and he also has been providing so much spiritually for us. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, that's our text for this morning, we see him actually turn and talk about children, right? He talks about the blessing that children are. But man, children, children want a lot of things. Right? I think they, they definitely want a lot of things. I remember when I was a kid, me and my brother, he's two years older than me, uh, we were, we would, for a while there, we were telling our parents, Mom, Dad, we want to go to Disney. We want to go to Disney. Take us to Disney World. Right? It sounds like this, this amazing thing. What, what kid doesn't want to go to Disney? Right? You watch all these Disney movies. Uh, you want to go meet Mickey Mouse. Maybe you want to go meet Elsa, whatever it might be. So kids just naturally want to go to Disney World. It's this magical place. It'll be amazing. So good. Just don't look at your bank account, right? It's so good. And uh, eventually, my brother and I were able to talk our parents into taking us to Disney, and it was super fun. I really loved it when I was younger. But everything about Disney says, come, come. It'll be the best week of your life. It'll be so good. 
But in our text this morning, we see Jesus talking to little kids, kind of like Disney kind of does, right? But Jesus isn't saying, come, come, this will be the best week of your life. This will be a magical place. It'll be so amazing. He says, come, and I'll give you true life. Come, and I'll give you something so much better than just a week's worth of fun. I will give you me for all of eternity, for you to have a relationship with me. So he's talking to children directly, which is a super amazing, cool thing to see Jesus do that. But before we dive into our text this morning, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you care for all of us as we're about to see Jesus even cared for these little children and valued them. Thank you for the grace that you give to us. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning. The Holy Spirit, you would just work in us, that you would grow us, that you would encourage us, and that we would just be so overwhelmed by the joy and, and love that you have for us that we just want to love you more and more. And I pray that you would just help us to see that in our text this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus is kind of, he's heading southward. He's been in the, in the Galilee region, and he's going south towards Jerusalem, where he's kind of going to finish the rest of his time on earth, really. And he's going south, and then this happens in verse 13. And they were bringing, and they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. So these people, they've heard about who Jesus is. They've heard about these miracles, about how he's a guiding, providing savior, how he guides in life through his teachings, through who he is, and also how he provides for all the needs that people have and just to show who he is. And they see that Jesus is not just some carpenter from some no-name town, right? They see him as more. They see him as a GPS who helps them navigate through life, leading them to the way. And really the cry of this passage is, come to Jesus, right? He's saying, come to me for never-ending, never-ceasing, never-changing love. But as he's saying, come to these children and really to all of us, he's showing us the demeanor that we are to have as we come. What does it look like for us to come? How should we do that? That's kind of what we're going to be addressing this morning. But the first thing that we see is that Jesus makes the insignificant significant. Jesus makes the insignificant significant. Right? People are bringing their kids to this man, but they're not bringing him to Santa for, the, for them to put their kid on Santa's lap and, and the kid can tell Santa what he wants for Christmas. They're bringing them to the Savior, to the Lord, to someone who is so much more important than anyone else that we can imagine. And they were looking for Jesus to bless their children, that he might be the GPS in their life, that he might be the everything to their children. And as we look at this passage, man, it should kind of remind us of baby dedications, right? The baby dedications that we have here at Mission View Church, I think we had one not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. 
Those are amazing Sundays, right? Seeing so many new parents or parents with their second, third kid, whatever that might be, coming up here in the front and uh, holding their little child and we're praying over them, right? And basically what they're doing during baby dedications is they're saying, hey, I want to commit to, to raising my child in the ways of the Lord. I want to commit to doing everything I can to help my child know and love God. And us as a church, basically what we're doing is we're saying, man, we want to we commit to doing everything that we can to help them do that, to help them raise their child to know and love the Lord. And it's this beautiful picture, Right? But can you imagine baby dedications, so to speak, with you're taking your child directly to Jesus? That's remarkable, right? They're, they're taking them to Jesus for Jesus to bless their children. But Jesus is this busy guy, right? He's got a busy schedule. He's got a lot going on. Is this really the best use of his time? Doesn't he have people to do things like this? So, you know, he can focus on the more important things. That's exactly what the disciples were thinking in this text. But at this time, this was actually a culture that was very practical in their thinking on children. The Greek word for children in this text is actually pedion, and it refers more specifically to a child who has not yet hit puberty. And often it even refers to, to children who are even younger than that, maybe seven or younger. Right? Other gospels that kind of record this account mention like babies being there. So these people are coming to Jesus. Some of these kids are walking, some are crawling, and some are being carried to, their, to Jesus. They're coming totally helpless, totally dependent on their parents. And in the first century culture, people had very little respect or value for these kids. They were seen as inconveniences. Right? They couldn't actually do anything yet. There were annoyances because they couldn't do anything. It was often seen more as like, man, when that kid is 13, they can finally help and do something. That's kind of how they valued children at this time. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible, right? They didn't seem as this gift or this joy, but as an obstacle. Maybe one day they'll be better. In our world today, there are so many amazing, great parents. In our community, in our church, there are so many amazing, great parents who truly love their kids and want to do anything for their kids and help them grow and keep them safe. But there are also many ways in which our culture acts more like the disciples than Jesus. Where our culture acts more like men of the first century and how they cared for children rather than how Jesus cares for children. According to the CDC, at least one in seven children have experienced child abuse or neglect in the past year in the U.S. And even the people who did that study said that this is probably an underestimate. Over 1,700 children, 1,700, died of abuse or neglect in the United States in 2020. That's average about five kids a day. Child abuse and neglect are five times higher for children and families with low socioeconomic statuses. Are we a culture who values children like Jesus or like people in the first century did? There, are, there, are over, uh, there were over 900,000 abortions in 2020. Right? There is grace and forgiveness for every sin when we repent and turn to Jesus. But do we love children the way that 
Jesus loves children as a culture? Do we love children the way that God wants us to care for children as a people? All people are valuable, right? You see, Jesus came to make the insignificant significant. He's taking these children who were often overlooked, they were seen as a burden, and he gives them this place of prominence. And even the disciples recognize that this is a place of prominence. They're like, yes, put, spend time with people who truly matter. And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm doing exactly that by being with children. I'm doing exactly that by caring for those who were overlooked, who, who were maybe mistreated, undervalued. Because Jesus is saying every person is valuable. He's talking about children, but really he's talking about all people. Because there is intrinsic value in who they are because of who made them and because of whose image they bear. Right? There is something significant about every single person because they are made in the image of God. Right? No matter what age, Jesus shows that he cares for all people who are seen as irrelevant, overlooked, or unlovable because they're made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this, This is obviously the creation account. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? There's this intrinsic value And who we are because of who created us and whose image that we bear. And in Psalm 139, it says that that God knitted us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The kind of intention and love that God put into creating every single one of us. But notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say that we have value because of what we can do. It doesn't say that we image God because of anything that we can do. It's not because of the family we're born into. It's not because of how smart we are. It's not because of uh, the value we bring to whatever job we have. Our value, our overwhelming amount of importance that every single human being has is because of who made us, right? It's the thing that separates us from all other animals, right? It's in every single human being, regardless of if they're Christian or not a Christian, every single person has the image of God. And we point back to our creator. And that is the reason that Jesus is saying every child, every elderly person, every middle-aged person, everyone matters. So Jesus' point here is that he makes us significant by his work, not by anything that we can do. And a lot of us can do a lot of things. From time to time, I like to make tacos. Right? That's one of my favorite dishes to eat. I love tacos. So when I get the chance sometimes, Allie's like, hey, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, I'm going to come home and make tacos. All right? But when you make tacos, you got like the, the meat browning in one pan. All right? Throw some seasoning in there, a little bit of water, let it really soak in, that, that great flavor. Right? Maybe you got some rice on another burner, some beans in the microwave, some lettuce you're chopping up, some cheese, salsa, have to have some hot sauce. And if you're really fancy, some guacamole and chips, right? But there's, I'm convinced there is one thing that separates a taco from a glorious taco, right? There is one thing, and you can disagree with me on this, but I'm sure you recognize that it does make at least a difference in the flavor, and that one thing is cilantro, (laughs) 
right? Cilantro takes the taco from being good to it is a glorious taco. It changes the whole flavor. But cilantro is so small, right? It's so, so small. But something that's so small matters so much. Jesus takes something so small in our text. He takes a little child, babies, and he shows us how truly significant, how important, how much they truly matter. And he does that really to show us, all of us, that you matter. That no matter how you think of yourself, that that you are all image bearers. We are all image bearers. Jesus is saying that we are all significant because of who he makes us to be. Because we're made in his image and we put our faith in him because, uh, because we're saved by the blood of Jesus that we all matter. And in a way, we are all like children. Right? Some, maybe if we, when we think of children, we're thinking of like the pure, the innocent. Right? And in some ways, children are like that, you know? You know, this perfect, priceless baby until they scream and steal other people's toys. But Jesus is caring for children here, not because of their purity or innocence, but really showing that we are all children, which is a great thing that it's not for those reasons, because sometimes even as adults, we still throw fits from time to time, right? But he's showing that we need to be like children to come to God, not in the innocence or purity, but in our neediness. Be dependent on Jesus. Be dependent on Jesus. We are to come to him in our neediness, like children do. It says this in verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus is angry. He's frustrated that these disciples are saying, these, these little babies, they don't matter as much. Like, Jesus, spend your time with those who are more important. So they're pushing him away. But really, this is the second time in like four weeks that we've been talking about children on a Sunday morning here. Right? A couple weeks ago, Josh talked about children in, the, in Mark uh, 9, verses 36 and 37, where Jesus was actually teaching this lesson on humility and pride. And it says this in Mark 9, 36 and 37. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus took the child and put him in the middle of the group to show that in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, the greatest among us are actually those who care for the needs of, of others and, and are really the hands and feet of, the, of Jesus. It's the humble, right? It's not the proud. And I think there are two main lessons on our dependence on Jesus that we see in our text in Mark 10 today. The first has to do with our neediness. It has to do with our neediness, highlighting our dependence, how we need help with everything, that we cannot live without God's grace and him showing compassion on us, right? And children are just a great example of that, right? When was the last time you, you changed your baby's diaper and then they cleaned the bathroom for you? Or you made your, your five-year-old dinner and then they did the dishes, right? We love our children not because of their abilities or what they can do, but because of who they are. We love them because they're our, chi- our, ch- our child, our children. So Jesus here is really getting to the point that we are all children, right? You might be able to clean your bathroom or, or do your dishes or fix your car or be a professional, 
But we are all children. We are all needy. Every single one of us is helpless on our own and utterly dependent on God for our sustenance, for him to sustain us. Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Heaven belongs to those who are dependent on God. Just as a child needs the parents to attend to their every need, we need God. Week after week, we've seen Jesus talk about pride. Right? He, he keeps bringing up pride as if he, he knows that pride is the thing that's going to shipwreck our lives. But here we see that pride really is in opposition to the kingdom of God. We can't be proud and dependent on God. It just doesn't really work. When we're proud, we think that we can do it on our own without God. That we, we think it's all on us and really we're being our own GPS in life. I love the fall, and I love how these leaves have changed colors the past couple weeks. So earlier this week, Allie and I drove to Quail Hollow in Hartville because we just wanted to get outside and walk through the forest once before all these leaves fall, and we have nine months of winter. So, so we were driving to Hartville, and uh, I, we got in the car, and Allie pulled out her phone, and I said, Allie, what are you doing? And she said, I'm pulling up the GPS. I'm going to, you know, direct you there. And I said, Allie, put your phone away. I'm good. I got this. I know how to get to Hartville right? Come on. So we start driving. Three minutes later, I missed the turn. And I was like, oh, hey, Allie, can you uh, pull out your phone again? So she did it, and then it added seven minutes to our commute. One of those great proud moments, right? I like to not use my GPS when I drive. And I know I'm not alone on that. Most of us like to try to figure it out. I'll get there eventually, right? That type of attitude and mindset. But if I, if I miss turns, if I get lost sometimes on my own, just in driving, where else in my life am I leading myself astray? Where else in my life am I leading my family astray? Where else in my life am I saying, God, I got this. I'll figure it out. Tighten my bootstraps. I'm good. Instead of saying, God, I need you. I need you. Right? We struggle with important decisions all the, all the time. But sometimes we think we can make them which is kind of crazy considering half of us sometimes struggle even with our coffee order at Starbucks, right? What am I going to order today? But the second lesson on dependence that Jesus is teaching us is really what distinguishes it from Mark chapter 9, that other passage where he brings children up front. And this is to highlight faith. This is to highlight our faith in God, right? Having this childlike faith. Because children... Children don't worry about what they're going to have for dinner tonight. Most children just kind of assume that mom and dad are going to take care of that, and they're just excited for hopefully chicken nuggets or something like that. Right? Most children, when they get home from school, are not worried about not having a roof over their head at night. They're not worried about paying the bills. Right? They, just, they look at mom and dad, and they see superheroes that know everything. Right? Most children have this childlike faith that is just so trusting and so dependent and so at peace, trusting in their parents, Jesus is saying we are to have that type of childlike faith with God. We are to find that type of faith in our Savior. If the kingdom of God belongs to the humble, and it belongs to those who fully put their faith in God, trusting him, totally, totally dependent on him, seeing their neediness, then, man, we also need to see our sin, see our pride, 
see our lies, see the deceit that we have, and, and repent of that. Right? It's our creator and savior who gives us purpose and meaning. But when we find our faith in ourselves, we're going to get lost. When we find our faith in ourselves, we're playing tennis with an egg, right? Life is going to get really messy and fail really, really soon. But Jesus is the one who gives us value, who gives value to the overlooked, the mistreated, the alone. Jesus is the one who gives us value. We must see our helplessness to find our significance. And that significance is only in Christ. We're to come to Jesus like children, not like a teenager. Right? When a teenager comes to, to, to father, it's for gas, money, or food. Right? Things like that. Hey, give me what I need right now, what I want right now. But it's not that utter dependence. We're to come to him with that type of dependence, being all in for God. And the beauty of this is he invites us to do this when we're at our wit's end. He invites us to do this when we, when we see our sin and we're like, man, this is ugly. I want to repent. I need to, to turn from this. And I feel like I don't deserve forgiveness. But he gives us forgiveness. He invites us to come to him in our desperation, in our struggles, in our hurts. When we're feeling so lonely, we feel like we have no one else to turn to, nowhere else to go. He's, he's there listening for us. When we're struggling with depression or anxiety and it's just eating us up. When our marriage is breaking. When we feel like we're just exhausted. I can't get out of bed in the morning. I'm so close to hitting rock bottom. Rock bottom. I've actually hit rock bottom. But when we come to Jesus in moments like this, we're coming dependent. We're seeing that we can't do it on our own anymore. We're seeing that coming with our own strength, with our own effort is a really bad idea and that we need to fully give that up and just trust in him and rely on him. Jesus even modeled this type of humility. Right? Jesus showed us this type of humility. There's a great passage in Philippians chapter, chapter 2 that I would encourage you to read on, on the humility of Jesus, but it talks about how Jesus came down from heaven. Why would he leave heaven? Right? It's perfect to rub shoulders with people like me. And people like us, he did it because of the love he has for us. And then that Jesus would, would leave heaven, come to earth, to live this perfect life with a whole bunch of sinners when he was sinless. And then the love that he had, that he would die on the cross for you and me. That he would love us so much that he would take the sin that we have committed upon himself and take that punishment in our place. That sin that totally separates us from God. That sin that should make it, make it so we can't pray to him, we can't know him, we can't grow in our walk with God. But he took it upon himself and took that punishment for us so that we can be forgiven. Of any sin that we, we've done, we've committed, we're still struggling with, Jesus' blood covers that because he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death, and he's saying, come to me in your desperation, in your dependence. I make the insignificant significant. That's what he's saying to us. He's inviting us to come to him and to give him everything that we have. And really, part of that is because we are to rest in the arms of Jesus. Rest in the arms of Jesus. We see this really in uh, verse 16. It says, 
And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Short verse. Right, the word rest isn't directly used, but it is so in verse 16. We see, we see this picture of Jesus taking children, laying hands on them. He's blessing them. Right, it's this intimate moment between a child and Jesus. They look so much like a father and a child. The word for bless here is never used anywhere else in the Bible. And that's super interesting. It's never used anywhere else. And really what, what it's getting at is this idea of Jesus is he's blessing ardently or fervently. Ardently or fervently. And, and th- what that really kind of boils down to even more is that there's this enthusiastic nature of this blessing. He's so joyful. He's so passionate. He's so excited. He's so eager to bless these children, you know, that were overlooked. His love for them is overwhelming. But this word bless also gets at the idea that he did it patiently, with tenderness, with care, with compassion, seeing them as delicate, as needy, which we all are. And I think part of this blessing was really just being with Jesus. Part of this blessing that these children got, that these parents got, was just seeing him and being with him and spending time with him, feeling his embrace. But the word for took in verse 16 too, really, uh, really cool verse, this word for took is also barely ever used in the New Testament. The only other time we see this word took is in Mark chapter 9, verse 36, that other passage that talks about children in the Gospel of Mark that we just read. But this word for took doesn't have anything to do with like taking carelessly or taking something you receive, but it has the idea of embrace, right? So Jesus is, he's, he's blessing them tenderly and, and with a lot of enthusiasm, and he's also taking them for an embrace, this intimate hug, this deep connection that captures the core of love. This deepening relationship that is forged, right? It's this, it's this hug that is kind of so similar to like a, a military soldier coming home from deployment, right? And their child running up to them to get that massive hug that is, I love you so much. That is what's being described in verse 16. That type of embrace. And Jesus looks so much like a father because the Bible tells us that when we see Jesus, we have seen the father, It's amazing. But resting in God, rest can be a hard thing for us to do. It comes natural to some of us, but for so many of us, it is so against what we want to do. I was actually talking with one of the students in our youth ministry earlier this week, and he he asked me, he was like, how can I rest? What does it mean? What does it look like to find rest in God? Right? Because sometimes we're just doers. We just keep going. We keep chucking along. And, and we're just going to keep doing. But it's hard for us to slow down to fully rest. And, and maybe some of us don't like to rest. We don't like to rest in the Lord fully. Because we're scared of what we're going to see. We're scared of what, what we're going to find out. Right? We already see enough sin in our life. Do I really want to see how more of my sin in my life? Sometimes that, that fear keeps us from actually reflecting on who God is and what he's doing in our life. But I think when we have that, we're forgetting that he's already got his embrace around us. 
his blessing, his love, his hug, it's already around us. So whatever it is that we find out about ourselves, he's right there already loving us in it. He's in it, in the mess with us in this. It's beautiful. But resting in the presence of God is also not emptying our minds. Right? It's not this idea of just getting this peace by putting things out. It's actually filling our minds up. Right? In verse 16, they're finding rest by being with Jesus, right? It's, it's this idea of communing with the Lord that is this rest-giving thing that we do. But resting is less of something that we do, right? It's not, it's not this thing that we do so much as it's so, something we just are with Jesus. Because we do so many things for God, but those things that we do for God should come out of a rest with Him. Because when we rest in the Lord— Simply by just being with Jesus, that's when he gives us the, the, the power. He gives us the, the energy to actually then go and do things for the Lord, to serve him with a source that is never-ending because it's Christ, rather than serving him with our own strength that dwindles moment by moment. But he wants us to just be with Jesus and to rest in him in that way. Right? This idea of of taking time in our life to just think through our day and attribute all of the good things that God has given us, those blessings that sometimes we, we overlook because we're just keep go, go, go. We don't slow down. It's taking time to attribute those to God, saying, God, wow, I saw you work in my life in this way. And that's amazing that you are God, that you are with me, that you do care about me every single day. Sometimes we, we, we rest in Christ through praying, Right? Through just studying the Word, spending time with God in there, journaling, reflecting on things throughout our day. Right? The good and the bad, because the reality is Jesus is still with us through all things that were going on in our life. But he wants us to stop doing and start being. Stop doing things to get closer to the Lord and start being with the Lord more. Because through that, we are then empowered to then go do for the Lord. I think one of the most restful things that I can do where, I, where sometimes I just feel closer to the Lord is just being in nature. I love the outside. I love this time of year. I love the woods. It's so peaceful being in his creation, seeing his, his, his creativity through what he's created. But this idea of rest, this idea of kind of Sabbath in some ways, was even in the creation account, right? God created or God rested on the seventh day of creation. And this isn't something we're supposed to be legalistic about, but it's something that should refresh us, being refreshed in Christ, right? Not just be re being refreshed by watching a movie or the Browns game, but by doing it in, by, by doing things to be refreshed in Christ, seeing our neediness and our utter dependence on the Lord and how Jesus, Jesus is with us and he redeems us and forgives us. And if we see our need to rest in Christ, don't we want our families to rest in Christ too? Don't we want to, to model that for our children? Right? Parents are literally bringing their children to Jesus in this text. Right? You might not be able to bring your kids to Jesus, but you can bring your kids to Jesus. Right? You can pray for your kids. You can teach them about who God is and who, how much he loves them simply because they're made in his image. Right? Because children, they're watching our every move. Right? They see Jesus in us through what we do, by how we love 
or don't love, how we serve or don't serve, how we respect people or don't respect people, they're getting this idea of who Jesus is. But the Bible says to impress the word of God on our children, to teach them to know the Lord, to to show them how much we love Jesus because of what he's done for us and show them that he's done that same thing for them and that his love for them is never-ending and is so infinite. What would your family look like if you did this better? What would our families, our lives look like if we truly found our rest in the Lord? If we set aside our pride and said, Lord, I need you. Right? I try to do all these things on my own. I try to do it in my own strength, but I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of the anxiety that comes with it, of feeling like I have to be great every single moment, whatever that might be. And fully just say, Lord, I can't do much of anything on my own. But I know that you love me, and I know that you died for me. And I want to grow my relationship more with you and find my rest in you because you make the insignificant significant. And I'm, I'm totally dependent. I'm, I'm needy. But you are with me in all of those moments. God wants us to rest in him. Before we close in prayer, I just want to invite you, if you, if you are, are struggling with something in your life, if there's something at home that's weighing on you, something at work, whatever it might be, family things, and you just want to receive prayer, after the last song, you can come out and, and uh, we will have some prayer people up here that would love to pray with you. Even if it's just a praise, right? Something went so well this week and you just want to praise God with some, some other brother or sister in our church. Come forward. We would love to pray with you uh, as we close today. That'll be after the last song, but let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for being a God who is so good, who is so gracious and loving and forgiving, that you care about all of us when we've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing on our own. We are not good in our own at all, but we are sinful, and we choose sin all the time, but you forgive us, and you help us to, to serve you and love you more. I pray that we find our rest in you, that we would stop trying to find our rest in other things or other people, but we would find it in who you say we are. We would find it in your word. Find it in a deeper, growing relationship with you. Help us to love our families better as we fully and more dependently rely on you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.